Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Hey, Round Rock, we are in a series we're kicking off today called Keep Dreaming. And at the beginning of each sermon of this series, we're going to hear some of the dreams of our children across our church. So, in anticipation of hearing some of your dreams, let's listen in to one of theirs. Hmm. I know it's a hard A giant candy cane. A giant candy cane? Just one? Yes. That's it? That's all you would buy? You wouldn't buy any toys? I want a giant candy cane toy. A giant candy cane toy? So you wouldn't eat it? It's called a toy. It's a toy. When was the last time you dreamed? I once heard a member of our faith community, and I'm not going to use his name because that would be unfair, but I heard Robert once say that uh, (laughs) when bringing a child into the world, it is like taking your heart and bringing it outside your chest and then letting it walk around to experience the world. I feel like we need to give Robert just some poetic snaps this morning for that. That's beautiful. That's, that's dad status right there. I love that description because dreams and kids are so similar. And when you get a kid sharing a dream, you get to see what dreams look like at their pure state. We all know what it's like to burst something, to name it, and to let it walk around in the world. Or at least that's what dreams should feel like. But dreams have been dangerous to do that. Right? If you were to look historically at how dreams have been talked about and how we treated them throughout history, one of the roughest times for dreams was in the medieval ages. Dreams were so dangerous They were something you had to watch so closely that you could actually be burned at the stake or you could be tortured for sharing a dream because people knew that dreams could be powerful. They could also be dangerous. And I would say out of all moments in history, over the past two years, we felt as well how dangerous dreams can actually be. Here's how one writer puts it that I think she describes beautifully what we are coming out of right now as a society. Of all things that we've lost in the last months, the one that's taken the longest for us to name is a sense of possibility. How are your senses of possibility going right now? Some things never change about dreams. They just form and rechange. Some of us have been burned by dreams that we've set in the past. Others of us feel tortured by dreams that we let be out there and then we found that they weren't as much possible. Or maybe they didn't sum up the way that we were hoping they were to be. We've lost our muscles to be able to dream because dreaming has been so difficult. I mean, think about how you've approached your calendar over the past 12 to 14 months. Everything is stapled with, I don't know. Like, I don't know if we can take that vacation. I don't know if we can do that event. I don't know if we can do that gathering. There's a lot we don't know about. And this is why today we're starting a series that we call Keep 
dreaming because in essence, we've lost our sense of possibility. We've lost our ability of how to dream. But the question I want you to start with today is how do we look back at the dreams that we once had? I want to invite you, we're going to read our text this morning. And if you're able to, I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of the word this morning. If you're a tangible person, you're like, I want a Bible in my hands. We're going to be in Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. I'm going to read this over you, or you can pull it out yourself. Now Jacob had left Beersheba, and he had set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped there for the night, because the sun had set. Now, taking one of the stones that was there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's a pretty great night, am I right? There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land of which they are lying. And your descendants will be like dust for the earth, that they'll spread out over the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Now verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was just not aware of it. So he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, and pay very close attention to this vow. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me in this journey that I'm taking, and he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I'll return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of it I will give you as a tenth of that offering. This is the word for us this morning. You can be seated. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to keep it open as we walk through it today. The first thing I want you to hear in this story that's slightly long, but it's so worth it, is that when God wants to do something new, God shares a dream. When God wants to initiate something in the world, God shares a dream. Now, this dream that he shares with Jacob, this is not a new dream. This is actually a continuation of the dream. He has shared this dream with his father and his grandfather. But here's the thing. Jacob is different than any other person in his family. Okay, As young people would describe Jacob, here's how they describe Jacob. Jacob is a hot mess express, okay? Jacob does not have it all together. By the time you meet Jacob in this passage, Jacob has cheated, Jacob has lied, Jacob has betrayed his family, and he got some stew out of it, and he is on the run because he has betrayed his family. Let me put it to you this way. If Jacob showed up at your doorstep, 
If he said, I want to hang out with your kids or I want to take your daughter on a date, you would be like, "Mm mm-mm, we ain't doing this, okay? That's Jacob. And Jacob comes to this God, Yahweh, and here's one of the major things to be able to hear from the text. Even after Jacob's actions, God still comes in with more actions. Even though Jacob has been inactive, In the way that God wants to pass down this blessing, God is still active, even in Jacob's inactivity. Okay, That's a word for some of us this morning. Jacob is far from home, but he's not just location-wise far from home. He's far from God. And this is where we should lean in closely. Because God dreams about people who are far away from home. Have you thought about this? That maybe you felt distant from God? What does it do to you to hear that if you feel far away from God, that God dreams about you? And maybe that needs to wake up some of us who have done church our whole lives, thinking about when's the last time you've dreamed about someone being far away from God? Because here's what Scripture does with dreams all the time, when God ushers a dream in, God uses dreams to draw people towards God. That that's part of the action that happens with dreams. You see it in Genesis, you see it in the prophets, you see it in Acts, all over again. Now what's beautiful about this is that the way that God comes to Jacob in this dream He has the same dream, but he tells it in a different way. Now, people who have read Scripture for a long time that are trying to decipher what this is for us exactly, they struggle to figure out what exactly did this dream look like for Jacob. Like, was this more of a ladder in which he was climbing? Was this more of a pyramid that would be there? And when you read it, you think, okay, that's pretty random. That's a pretty trippy dream. Okay, you had some chocolate milk before you went to bed or something like that. It just seems weird. But historians would actually tell us that this is not random imagery. This is actually relatable imagery. That this is something that Jacob would have actually been familiar with in his times. Some historians actually think that this would have been very close to the pyramids that Jacob would have seen. In essence, Jacob and his dreams are getting overlapped with what God, Yahweh's dreams, are looking like. Let me try to paint it in an illustration sort of way. There's this short story that's found in 1877 that it's called The Simple Heart. And it's this really short, beautiful story about this maid that her name is Felicia. And Felicia has a brutal boss her entire life. Okay, think of the plot line of like Cinderella. Like, that type of household, okay? Like, every single day is miserable to work there. And in this short story, Felicia, the one time she gets a good gift from her boss is this one bird that she gives her. It's this parrot. It's this beautiful parrot, all sorts of colors, and she names the parrot Lulu. Wouldn't you name your parrot Lulu? No, some of you would not. Okay, okay, I got got the response there. She names it Lulu, and every day she wakes up, she talks to Lulu. She tells Lulu about her day, her frustrations, everything. And then the short story takes just this dark, terrible turn. 
that when her boss dies one day, the bird dies at the same time. And Felicia actually takes the bird and she stuffs the bird because this bird was her one hope, her one thing that she loved and cherished and she lost it. So she stuffs the bird and she sets it right next to her bed table. And every single day she wakes up, the first thing she sees is that parrot, that bird. And here's how the writer finishes this short story. In a very haunting and chilling way, Felicia, as she had come to the end of her life, when she breathed her last breath, when she closed her eyes, she saw heaven opened. And the first thing that she saw hovering over her was a giant, colorful parrot over her head. This is the ways of heaven. The good news of heaven speaks in a way that we relate and understand. Here's what I'm trying to say. This moment for Jacob is Jacob's Lulu, okay? This is the parrot. This is the thing. God does not speak in so decoded language that's so hard for any of us to reach. God speaks in a way and a time for each of us that we understand. And God does this through the dreams. There's one more thing I want you to be able to see. All right, and this is for my crowd that's in there that's like, you know, I've, been, I've heard this story like a hundred times. Give, give me something I've never, like you're the type of person that's like, I want something deep in scripture. All right, I'm gonna give you a deep one, or at least I think it's a deep one. Okay, if you've never heard before, the term ladder that is used in this passage to try and describe whatever this dream is that Jacob's having, that term ladder in Hebrew, in the original language, actually is very similar. It has something that's the same with the word that means heads up. That this ladder that Jacob sees God ascending and descending, that this dream that Jacob experiences, there's almost something of a climbing that happens. Dreams are God's ladders to help us experience what heaven will be. If you want to keep your head up, one of the ways to do it is to focus on the ways that God dreams. And as soon as Jacob realizes what this dream is, we actually get told what his response is. And it happens in verse 16. Now, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord's in this place. And I wasn't aware. When he says that I wasn't aware of it, it's a way of Jacob being able to say, I did not know that God could be giving a dream to me right here, right now, in this place, through me, in my life. And this is where I would like to pause this, because this text gives us a moment to be able to speak to the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. And I want us to think very critically about this, because we too are not always people who are aware of God's actions. Here's how one thinker, Stephen Freeman, would say it. Many of us have given ourselves to the illusion of what is called Christian atheism. Now, here's how he would explain Christian atheism. He would give you an example of a house. He would draw it on a napkin. He'd say, this is what Christian atheism is, is that we believe life and faith with God is not a one-story house, but it's actually a two-story house. 
And what we've done with this house is we put God on the second floor and we put ourselves on the first floor. And we interact and we operate in life like God is above us and that God has nothing to do with us and that God has set everything into motion. And even though we would never cognitively say that God is out of sight, out of mind, most of us live our days that God is out of sight, out of mind. And that if God were going to interact with the first floor of life, that God would need to break some natural rules or order to be able to break in and do something crazy into your life. And this is where Stephen Freeman would say, this is what Christian atheism is. And it is swimming in the water of everything that we do today. And I especially want to awaken those of you who care about younger generations of what they are encountering and going through right now. There is a form of this that's happening all the time. And here's how it happened. We made faith, we made the Christian faith all about the idea of you need to be a good person. And being a person of faith is being a good person. Now, that's not wrong. That's just not complete. And one of the things that we implied when we said faith is about being a good person, here's how we said it in Christian terms, we said you need to be like Jesus. Absolutely, that's not wrong. But it's not complete because when we make society all about being good people, you get where we are culturally right now. Here's what I mean by that. If you vote the right ticket every eight years or four years when it comes, if you recycle, and if you do things ethically, you are a good person. And notice what was not mentioned in and those three. The need for God. That we've actually summed up life to say, we can handle the good life, everything here. <laughs> Nothing else to be able to see. We've made faith about being a good person when faith was supposed to orient you to be the type of person that encounters God on a regular basis. That faith is not just about being a good person or doing the right things. But that faith is a life of dreaming with God, walking through, walking with God, and encountering God in unique and special ways. We like to act like God is our landlord instead of our roommate when it comes to love. And we have to be open to the possibilities that God is interacting and that God is working right now because God interacts and works with Jacob in this way. Now, Jacob is not completely open to the possibilities, right? Like Jacob is very much a trickster, right? So like his response, God makes all these declarative responses. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be here with you. I'm not going to leave you until all of this is completed. And then do you notice how Jacob responds? Jacob responds with being like, so if you make sure you bring me food and clothes, and if you deliver me all the way through, and if you not only get me back, but get me back to the place I've been going, then I will make you my God. If then is Jacob's mentality. Here's what Jacob's trying to do. He is trying to not only receive the what of God, but the how. He's trying to control the how will God's dreams come about. And here's the thing about Scripture and dreams and God. Anytime a dream comes out in front of us, it is never to control the how of life, of how that dream comes about. It's to give us direction for the moment that we find ourselves in for the present. Now we get to see 
in a small part of Scripture how this goes for Jacob. Now, this place of Jacob receiving the dream, and then right after, we actually get to see what Jacob's life looks like and how he thinks about this dream at the end of his life. Now, this is tucked away deep in Scripture. All right, it's in a small little crevice, a small little place. Like, you got to look really closely to find it here at the end of Jacob's life. And I'm going to give it to you today. All right, some of you are getting bored with me. I can see you, okay? I can get you like, oh, goodness, so much Scripture. All right, here we go. This is the scene near Jacob's life at the end of it. If, I, if I'm going to set the scene for you, here it is, metaphorically for you, okay? Jacob has a son, Joseph. Joseph scores the game-winning touchdown, okay? And this is the after party, all right? Joseph has just helped so many nations with the famine that has come through here. And Jacob is coming with his son, Joseph, and he meets the Pharaoh, the top dog, big dog. He comes to him, and this is the moment that Jacob and the Pharaoh share to each other, tucked away, deep in Genesis 47. And then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. And after Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him a question. How old are you? <laughs> Come on, Scripture's just funny sometimes. Now, here's, here's what he's asking with that, okay? He's not like a seven-year-old being like, wow, you're old. No, 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 no. No, what commentators would say is the reason Pharaoh is asking this is that the moment he sees Jacob, he sees life has worn on Jacob. I once heard a writer say it this way, that uh, uh, to describe someone who, is, who has lived many years, you just say, they've got some snow on the roof, you know? A little gray, a little, little salt, a little pepper going on there. Jacob has lived a lot of life, and Pharaoh can't help but ask, dude, how old are you? Okay, And here's what Jacob says. I want you to lean in closely, because this is major. This is how he says it. And then Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130, and my years have been few and difficult. That the years have been few and difficult. What in the world does Jacob mean? Jacob is the one that has received the dream of God. He got to see this ascending and descending interaction, and Jacob, 130 years, is saying, my life has been few and and difficult. What does he mean by that? First of all, he means this. By few, he means he is comparing his life to his father and his grandfather. If you flip back in Genesis, you would see that Jacob's father, believe it would be Isaac, would be 175 in the terms of Genesis. And then if you look at Abraham, his grandfather, he'd be 180 years of life. And he compares his life to the dreams of his father and his grandfather, and he says they're few. Well, what's he mean by difficult? What's he mean by that? Well, if you were to flip through Genesis, after this dream is heard, it is a brutal rundown for Jacob ever since. If you were to pull up Facebook and you're like, you know, I just want to know Jacob's life really quick. I'm going to pull that up. If you were to scroll through his timeline, you'd be like, this, this broski, he had it difficult. You don't buy it. Okay, let me show it to you then. Here would be Jacob's life, all right, from the moment of the dream moving on. I mean, I had a lady once ask me, like, are you going to preach the scriptures today? Y'all are getting so many scriptures today. I'd love to tell that lady, you bet, you bet you I'm preaching them. All right, when Jacob leaves this dream, the first thing you experience is Jacob goes through the heartache of multiple marriages, and he loses a spouse as well. Next in Jacob's life, there is family conflict with Laban. 
and struggle that happens within the family. Next, you have this faith wrestling in Genesis 32. They're like, I don't even know what's going on there. But Jacob walks away with more questions than he does answers. And the next in his life, he actually loses a son. It's actually his favorite son, even though you're not supposed to pick favorites. But he will find out that the son is not dead, but he will live years thinking that his son was dead. And finally this, he lives through a natural disaster. When you find this scene in Genesis, they're actually living through a famine. This, last time I checked, was not the American dream. This, last time I checked, was not specified in any of the dream that God shares with Jacob in this moment. This is what Jacob means by few and difficult. And here's the thing you got to lean in and hear. In this moment, Jacob's son Joseph has saved people. He's helped them. And when Pharaoh asks Jacob about his life, he can't see that God's blessing, God's dream has come through him. Why? Because he is stuck on the years of few and difficult the entire time. Mark Twain once said this, When I was younger, I could remember anything whether it happened or not, but now that my faculties are slowly deteriorating, I shall soon be in a place where I cannot remember anything but the things that have never happened in my lifetime. All of us, all of us wrestle with the dreams of our youth. All of us have to wrestle with what we thought could happen and maybe didn't happen. We all have to wrestle with our dreams. Dreams are almost like caffeine or cancer in our life. If you get a dream that propels you in life, that excites you, it can give you the drive to be able to go where you want. But if you have an unfulfilled dream in life, sometimes it's like poking a hole in a gas can and you just slowly are leaking out all of your energy if that dream never comes to be. Dreams are tricky. And sometimes we fixate on what didn't happen instead of being able to look back at our life and ask, what did God actually make happen? Many times we get stuck on our life being few and bitter, and we don't zoom out to say, how am I living into the dream of God's kingdom and is it happening around my life? There's one writer by the name of David Wolf that I think does such an insight to this. He says, when we lose the dream of what should have been, we're given the gift of what could be. I've not reached middle age in life, obviously, but I've heard that this is one of the words that's very important to latch onto, that when we lose the dream of what should have been, we can also be given the gift of what could that there's opportunity that's waiting for us. If we can sense the possibility that God is working in the kernel of the things that we dream about, and that's why we're doing this series. I want for a couple of weeks for us to listen to Scripture closely about how God has dreamed with God's people in the past and that God is still dreaming with God's people then and today and how we can get our sense of possibility back that maybe the dreams that are stored inside your heart, maybe there's a small crevice, a small kernel 
of that dream that's God's dream as well. This is a series to remember the words that were said to Jacob are also the words that are said to us. That God will not leave us. That God will be with us. And will not leave us until completion. Can I share a story with you to kind of close this time? Come on, you got to give me something around. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you like, get on with it. <laughs> sooner you tell the story, the quicker you'll be done. All right, here we go. I want to tell you about King. That's how I want to close today. I want to tell you about King. I want to tell you about this King and his diamond. This King once had a diamond. It was his precious diamond. Every night before bed, he would take out the diamond and he would stare at its perfection. He would love it. He would polish it. He wanted to die one day with the diamond in his hand. But then one day, tragedy struck because he accidentally dropped the diamond. When the king dropped the diamond, it cracked. In distraught, the king yelled for any jeweler in the entire land who could fix it, restore it, bring it back to its original state. And he searched all the land, and after searching the land, he heard no after no after no. But one jeweler, one humble jeweler, did come to the king. He said, I will attempt to fix the diamond. Months passed. Months after months, the king heard nothing. The king wanted to know about his diamond. And then one day, the jeweler brought the diamond back to the king. And when the king took it, wrapped in cloth, and unwrapped it, the king was furious. He was outraged. The crack was still there. And in the midst of the rage, the jeweler humbly asked the king, before you punish me, will you please just turn the diamond over? The king turns the diamond over. And there, he sees one of the most beautiful things he'd ever seen in his life. Upon turning it over, the king discovered that the jeweler had taken the top of the diamond and he had carved petals at the top of the diamond so that the crack was no longer a crack, but it was a stem leading all the way up to a rose, making it a more beautiful diamond than he had ever seen before. The king cherished the diamond because it was even more beautiful than he thought it could be. Welcome to life with God. In other words, when we have our dreams cracked, when our dreams get shattered, when we run through difficulties, we have a jeweler who will transform what is broken and bruised and what we thought was over. This is the dream of God in your dreams. That our dreams, which always have a hint of our desire and God's overlapping, no matter how selfish or no matter how weird or no matter how much it's driven by that, you have dreams in your life and God can take those and transform those. But we have to be open to them possibly looking different than we ever imagined ourselves. God is the jeweler who will hold what is most precious to you in your life, and he will transform it if we're willing to offer it to him. Today's sermon does come with a response. 
Okay, I know some some Sundays we we hear the sermon, we close it down, we walk out, and we'll be like, "Gosh, I am exhausted by that preacher." Or you'll be like, "I don't know, I don't know what that bird with Lulu had to do with the sermon today." Okay, all right, I'm gonna give you a different response than preacher roast today. Okay, today you have the opportunity to offer what is broken, what is cracked, or what is bruised in regards to your dreams to God. Now, here's what, how I want to invite you to do this. If you'll go ahead and grab that card that was on your seat. <clears throat> this is what we call the dreaming card. And today I'm going to display for you that question that we talked in the very beginning. And I'm going to give you about two minutes to just sit. And I would like for you to offer up to God today what may be a broken dream, what may be a lost dream, what may be a dream that you're confused about. And I'd like you to just write it on that dream card. Just write what it is as you process the question. And one of the things that we're going to do during this series is each week we're going to give you a different card with a different prompt. And the leaders of this church and the staff of this church are going to pray over these different dreams, these different things that you offer each week. And if you're the type of person that's like, I will write it down, but I do not want this being shared or anywhere in this place, all you got to do is not check the box that's on the card, and we will respect that, we'll protect that, we'll make sure of that. But we want to invite you to offer this up, to write a response to these dreams. And then we'd like you to physically do what you've spiritually just done. After you write on the card, would you consider just walking up to the front and dropping that card straight in the bowl that's in front of me? as a physical way of symbolizing what you're doing spiritually by saying, I'm taking this dream, this thing I've held in my heart, and I'm just going to offer it. I'm just going to set it there. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to read a couple of these dreams as we worship, which by the way, as we said, if you're like, I do not want my dream shared, okay, do not check the green box that's on the card, and we will respect that. But over the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear each other as a congregation. We're going to hear the dreams. We're going to hear the broken dreams. We're going to hear the desires that you have for the future. And we're going to start dreaming with God together. So I'm going to give you two minutes. Grab the card. Grab a pen that's near you. And write a response to this. Now, if you're not able to stand up or you're just not comfortable with that, if you'll just take your card and raise it high, someone on our worship team will actually come over to you and pick the card and place it in the bowl. But this is my invitation to you. Write on the card and then come and place it in the bowl. And don't wait until after the two minutes are over. As soon as you've written it, come and drop it off today. we drop cards off, we'll have an elder come up and bless us for the end of our service.
we, we bring to you what's precious to us. God, for some of us, that was something that we thought we were going to pursue in our vocation. For some of us, that was with what we shared with ones that we loved with or ones that we entered covenant with. God, we think for some of us, it was what we imagined for our kids or what we imagined for our families that never came to happen. God, we offer what is precious to us, and we hand that to you. God, we pray over the next couple weeks, may you give us breath, may you give us life, may you give us energy as we discern the dreams that we have held in our life. God, as we think about the things that we've dreamed about as a church, God, may you come to us close in a way that we can catch a whiff of your dream of what heaven and earth coming together is like. We thank you for what it looks like in the human form of what your dream for humanity looks like through your son, Jesus. And we pray in his most powerful name, you bring those dreams to pass. In his name, amen.